Welcome to the Keeping Kids Safe podcast. My name is Karen Cohn. I am the co-founder of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety. This is your number one resource for all things related to your child's emotional, physical, and social well-being. Now I'd like to introduce my co-host and my friend, the Executive Director of the Zach Foundation for Children's Safety, Megan Ferraro. I am so pleased to introduce you to Dr. Louis Giangiulio, known to us as Dr. G. Dr. G graduated from the Johns Hopkins University and Jefferson Medical College. He completed his pediatric training at Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., and the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. He served our country as an Army pediatrician for six years, including a deployment to Afghanistan in support of Operation Freedom in 2003 and 2004. Dr. G is a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a board certified uh, in pediatric and adolescent medicine since 2002. Dr. G is a married father of four and is going to share with us his experiences as both a parent and a well-traveled pediatrician. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. G. Thank you, Megan. I just shared a lot about your background, but is there anything else you want to share before we jump in? Well, I'm currently the... um founder and practitioner of a sole practice called Sugartown Pediatrics, where, you know, I see children every day from birth through college, um, probably anywhere from 50 to 75 patient encounters a week. So, and we never shut down all throughout the whole COVID pandemic. So I've pretty much seen everything in, at least in this area in the main line of Philadelphia and the you know, suburbs of Philadelphia in terms of the trends of what's been going on with illness, uh, yeah, I've been in the hospitals with newborns, you know, like I said, every, every day as well. So. so, yeah, I mean, I met you, I think back while I was pregnant with Millie. So that would have been nine years ago. Um, and as soon as I met you, I switched my oldest son, William, over to your practice. And we've been with you ever since then. So we've been with you for nine years now. Um, and you're such a special pediatrician. So I wonder what, while you were in medical school, what drew you to pediatrics over other areas of medicine? You know, I took a little bit of a roundabout route to, to medical school. When I graduated from undergrad Hopkins, I was an econ major. I actually did three years working in the, uh, you know, banking field, believe it or not. I kind of had an idea. I wanted to go into medicine. There was no one in my family who was medically oriented. So having come from Hopkins and trying to beat medicine out of you down there, I eventually found my way back. I got out of the bank, you know, investment banking world, uh, back, uh, three years after college and applied to med schools. And as I was going through it, it gave me a really good perspective on this is something I really wanted to do. And I knew I really wanted to have long-term relationships with my patients. So that kind of drew me into primary care. And at that point, Jefferson Medical College is very strong with the family medicine program. And my advisor was a family med doc. And I thought I was going to be doing probably family medicine the rest of my life. But then as I was going through my clinical rotations, I realized I really just had an affinity just drawn toward the younger population. I was very interested in preventing disease and preventive health. And I figured I could probably do that best working with children and their parents, obviously. Uh, so it just drew me towards that whole population of children and young adults. And I you know, decided to go into pediatrics. That's probably what because I like the long-term continuity aspect of the care, as well as the preventive medicine aspect of the care. Well, we're so happy that you did. You've certainly walked alongside our family through a lot of ups and downs. So it's been great to have you alongside. Um, and, you know, we had a conversation about a year ago, actually, about 
um, kids in school and, and so many of the schools in suburban Philadelphia were closed for much of the pandemic. And so I was wondering, you know, what were some of the biggest challenges that your patients faced during COVID? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for most of the younger kids and, you know, school age kids was the fact that they weren't getting that social interaction every day. That and the fact that some of the kids, especially young boys have, I won't say it's as easy as them to learn online as, as females. I don't want to generalize, but some people in general have a hard time learning online versus in person. And as well as just the fact that a lot of the activities were all canceled. So a lot of people kind of rely on that after school extracurriculars or activities to kind of ground out their day, so to speak. You sit in a classroom for six or seven hours, you look forward to doing your practice or your, your music and then not having all that. So those, those were really big challenges for the kids I was seeing anyway over the last couple of years during the pandemic. In fact, it's led to other things as well, like, you know, in terms of the, the, the mental health aspects of it being home, not around their friends, and also in terms of not being as active in terms of kids gaining more weight than usual. And then with grades, like kids literally did fall behind in their academics. So I think those are the three main things where I saw kids uh, having difficulties with during the pandemic. And what was your advice or guidance to parents? I mean, how did you help parents figure out how to redirect their kids? I mean, there for many families, there weren't options, right? We were fortunate enough to have our kids in school full time last year, mm-hmm. or at least my husband and I were. But for many, there wasn't a choice. Well, for those with who thought they didn't have a choice. I told them they had to go old school. I mean, activities, for example, I mean, all these travel sports and activities are kind of a new creation. I mean, just because you're quarant- you're at home, not going to school uh, in person, doesn't mean you can't go for family time, go walk in the park, active in your backyard, whatever you need to do. So activity levels, I, I would recommend, I recommended that they should be doing that as family, right? When that was good family time. So that was actually kind of a benefit, having more time together as a family, maybe exercising as a family or doing other homeschool activities activities as a family, right? Um, unfortunately, with the whole virtual learning thing, that was difficult for folks that have trouble learning virtually. But again, uh, that was just something we had to get tough out. And luckily, most places did go back, at least in a hybrid setting by the second half of last year, which was good. Uh, and then the social aspect, I mean, sure, kids nowadays, a little different from when we were growing up, Megan, but yeah, they're, they're kind of used to seeing each other on social media not Zoom necessarily, but so they could still keep in touch. May not have been the same as personal interaction, but, you know, they could still get that social interaction via, you know, social media and, and their, their screens. It was really just figuring out that new normal, right? You know, how are we going to work at home while we're also taking care of our kids and recreating that, that time? I have a son who actually had definitely had a lot of trouble online. He's 17 years old. And so many of those days, while he didn't mind being at home, it was really hard for him to stay focused. So when we went back hybrid, hybrid, it was, it made a big difference for his um, grades and for just his also mental outlook. And I think I can re- relate to that because I had a son who was 17 and now 18. Just He was a senior in high school and his grades did fall a little bit. Now, I won't say senior slide, but he's, he's generally been a good student. His grades were down. I mean, he really missed being with his, his friends at, in high school. And, and I've seen that story play out throughout, right from kindergarten, right up through high school, you know, the whole year and a half. You know, as you look at, at some of the challenges that a lot of kids face, you talk about, you know, depression or anxiety or weight gain. Um, what about 
unexpected successes. I know I have a kid with pretty significant anxiety issues and he was in treatment for about two years with a therapist. And um, we actually saw some maturity and some growth during that initial period of lockdown. So I guess really from mid-March until July, we were pretty, we had a premature baby, right? That we had just brought home from the hospital when we went into lockdown. So we were probably on the more careful side of what we did as a family during that time. So we really, we didn't see anyone, not grandparents, not aunts and uncles or cousins. And we found that that for, for our son was great, that he really knew exactly what to expect each day. And it allowed him to help him overcome some of those challenges he was experiencing through day-to-day life, just like the rigor of life was a lot for him and having those, you know, four to six months of just not having to go anywhere or do anything helped him mature quite a bit. I think for those who were able to, you know, survive and, you know, have success or found success in the pandemic, it built resiliency, right? And that's what you're always talking about. When you face adversity and you overcome it, it should build a little bit of self-confidence in you. You know, some people go the other direction and they get more withdrawn. But for those who were able to do that, they could say, yeah, I overcame this, you know, difficulty, this change in my schedule, my routine, and I was able to adapt and overcome, right? Uh, so I guess you could call that a, a mild, minor success, right? And then, I mean, from a medical standpoint, I guess, you know, you, you say what, what changed with us? And a lot of docs did have their offices closed for a while, or we learned how to use telemedicine, right? And you know, we, we weren't really that adept at it before the pandemic. I think most people, whether, you know, working from home and Zooming or doctors learning how to get adept with telemed, I guess that was somewhat of a success because it, it increased accessibility to a lot of folks' docs, especially in places where they don't, I mean, not, we don't have this problem in Philadelphia, no shortage of docs around here, but, but other places, you know, telemed, it, so that helped in one respect from a medical standpoint. Uh, and then I guess I could say a mild success would have been last year. The flu season was pretty much non-existent since everyone was home and wearing masks. And uh, I, I'm not sure we can expect that this flu season. Uh, but so we did see a really um, large decrease in all viral infections, not just, you know, just people were home, masks, not at school. Uh, my office for sick visits last year was as slow as it ever had been in 22 years. And it, like I said, the flu season was almost non-existent, um, although it was still, you know, flu is also always dangerous. It's like COVID, but, but it was a lot less. I found that to be true in my household. It was so nice. I don't think we saw you for one sick visit last year <laughs> um, and I didn't mind it at all. Um, but, you know, going back to the conversation around anxiety. I think, you know, one of the things that we like to provide our listeners with are tips and resources. So for families who may have children struggling with anxiety or depression, what are some things that you might recommend they try to do before they seek professional help? I mean, the best thing you can always do for a child that's struggling a bit with mental health is to build their support network, right? Usually it starts at home, but not everybody can do that. We have dual working families these days. You know, you're not always with the kids. The kids are at school, they're at daycare, they're at aftercare. Um, so it starts in the home, siblings, parents, and then it goes from there. So friends build their network at school, social networks, whether it's through their friends in their classroom or through extracurriculars, right? That's always, not every kid's an athlete, but usually most kids have something they enjoy. It can be art, it can be music, it can be, you know, robotics, whatever it takes, build their social network. And if they have that support system, that's always a great start because, you know, it's always about finding your 
your happy place, right? So whatever puts you in a good place. And most kids have that. You just have to figure that out, right? Um, having them talk about their feelings to you. Now, a lot of kids, uh, you know, feel, I mean, older kids obviously feel like it's maybe a sign of weakness. Younger kids just don't feel like they can talk to someone about how they feel. So having them talk it out is always very helpful. And again, it has to be someone they trust and love. And usually that starts in the home. Following routines. I mean, it was hard to follow routine when we were all virtual, and but now most people are back in school, so keeping them on the routines um, is always is always helpful. And then uh, try to, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of screen time. The only time I think I ever watch TV is to watch like sporting events. <laughs> That's just me. I don't think I ever watch news, and people think I live in a cave. But I feel like I'm actually my from my mental health standpoint, I'm probably better off for it. So try to limit the kids' exposure to stuff. Like a lot of the, I won't say local news or whatever, national news, it's all about the doom and gloom, right? So kids hear that when it's on, even in the background. And that, so just limiting that or turning it off is, is huge, okay? Um, so limit that exposure if you can at home as well. And then, like we said, there's things that they can do. Even if they're not sports people, you can exercise. I mean, a lot of a lot of studies have shown that just keeping them moving off the couch, exercising increases your endorphins and helps you feel good about yourself and good mental positive attitude. So I think those are, those are some of the things uh, that I, I recommend. Really good tips. Um, and I know for us, we did a lot of family walks. We conquered bike riding. I mean, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but my 10 year old didn't know how to ride a bike and we couldn't figure out how to get him to learn how to ride a bike. And I was like, this is going to happen during this initial period of, of the stay at home order. Um, both of my kids learned how to ride a bike. The the 10 year old and the eight year old conquered that, or I guess they were nine and nine and seven at the time conquered that challenge. And we were so excited for them to, to learn how to ride a bike and family bike rides and walks. It was so great. So I know that was a big achievement for us. Um, but when you look, Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I say who ran alongside them while they were, was that you or was that Larry? (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, I was you know just a few months out from a C-section, but you know <laughs> I needed them to learn how to ride that bike because it was going to be so good for them to be riding around the neighborhood. And I have such vivid memories of my dad teaching me how to ride my bike, so I just channeled that, <laughs> <laughs> and it it worked. So we were so excited about that. Um, but you know, Dr. G, as you look at new trends in pediatric patients that could be a result of COVID, can you share what, what some of those new trends might be? Well, I know we, we focused a lot on like the mental health aspect of the pandemic and how it affected kids. And I think because there is a paucity of child and adolescent psychiatrists, I think a lot of folks have gone to the telemed route, which is helpful in one way. I don't know how effective it is not being face to face with these guys in a room, you know, if they're having true issues, but at least it, it, like I said, it increases accessibility to those, to those therapies, which is a good thing. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, like I said, we learned how to deal with that, but my, our, most offices are open now. So, and I, I always preferred to see folks in person when I could, I'm, even though I would do a telemed consult if forced, I would always like to see them in person. And I don't care if I was masking and washing my hands 80 times a day. I was always willing to see a patient, even if you know they were ill, just because I knew, you know, if we did the proper precautions, you know, 
personally to me, I mean, COVID, especially now with the vaccine is no more dangerous than most of the other viruses I come in contact with, you know, you know, many times a week. So, um, and then I think the question was how we adapted or how, how do we, you know, um, the kids I saw who came in, you know, not having done their activities, uh, dealing with their, uh, you know, some of the kids in a normal annual physical, sometimes I'll see kids, you know, they usually grow a couple inches a year, maybe 10, 10 to 12 pounds a year. I literally saw some kids coming in, having gained 20 to 30 pounds just in the year when they were not active, which is obviously more than, than the usual. So, so we, I think we had, uh, just knowing how to deal with that and, and, focusing a lot more on exercise and diet and, you know, getting that, putting that back in the forefront, which most pediatricians do anyway, because, you know, besides, uh, <clears throat> if you look in the public health circles, most folks would target the number one epidemic in this country before the pandemic was obesity. Right. And then, so, but making that more of a, a focus for the kids who were, were not as active over the last year and a half, uh, and, and getting very good at that and following up on that. So Dr. G, we're getting close to what sounds like it's going to be an announcement for COVID vaccinations for kids under the age of 11. What is your, have you thought a lot about, I sure, I'm sure you have, but what will your position or recommendation be for kids in that five to 11 age range? Well, if it's shown that it's safe and effective, you know, I would recommend it just like I recommend a daily, an annual flu shot, right? Because there's nothing worse than death. If you can prevent death, even if it's a one in a million chance of death, you should take it, right? Now, granted, you have to know what the risks are, right? It, everything we do in life is a risk-benefit ratio. So if there is a small risk of, say, myocarditis from getting a shot and you're a pretty high-level athlete, you may think twice about getting that COVID vaccine if you haven't already if you feel like the risk of you getting seriously ill is, is, is that small, but I think generally speaking, especially for folks that might be living with higher risk folks or elderly or around them every day. Yeah. I mean, you should get your, it's almost like the counseling we do every year for the flu shot, right? Most people say, I, I've never gotten the flu and I never gotten the flu shot. Well, you're just playing the odds, right? I'm sure you've driven your car, you know, a hundred times a week and never gotten an accident. But that one time you do, you're going to hope you have your seatbelt on, right? You know, so, um, and it's the same way with these vaccines. I mean, pediatricians are are the number one proponents of vaccinations, right? I mean, that's all we do. You know, 80% of our visits are all about preventive health and vaccines, which is why I got into pediatrics. So if there's a vaccine out there that's gonna prevent death, whether it's one in a thousand times or, you know, with COVID, which is, you know, 0.01% of the time, yeah, nothing, nothing can compare to that. That's a benefit, but just know what the risks are. So we're, they're still studying that. I think from what I heard, it will be a lesser dose for the kids from five to 11 than the adult dose and who knows about boosters or not. Most kids take vaccines better than older people. The younger you are, usually your immune system is much more reactive. So I don't know if they'll even need a booster or two boosters. I mean, just the one shot would probably be protective. Folks who've had COVID and recovered may or may not need a vaccine. That's maybe something else in the equation, but it's going to be a risk benefit ratio for each individual family, you know, depending on their situation. If it comes out and it's noted as safe and effective, I'm all for it. Some people may wait a little just because, like I said, they might be participating in their sports season. They may want to wait till they're done with their sport and then get it done. But, you know, that's going to be a personal decision for them. That's good advice. We just had William's 11-year vaccinations on Tuesday night, and he did great. He had no 
four arms. He had no complaints. Um, so I'm sure he's not going to be thrilled to come back for his COVID vaccine. But I can say that over the last couple of months, he has said several times that he can't wait to get vaccinated against COVID. So um, probably won't be as much of a struggle as it as it would have been just to have him come in and get his flu shot. Well, and yeah, from a mental health standpoint, right, for folks who are anxious because they've heard so much about the pandemic and the millions of deaths worldwide. Yeah, it should give them a boost, boost in the arm, a boost in the mental health. Right. So I know for me and Karen, I think you were the same way when we got vaccinated, we were like, oh, it was a breath of fresh air. It felt like we could, you know, go out to dinner with confidence. Right. Yeah, it felt so much better to because my youngest is 14. So we were all fully vaccinated by I think it was May and it was liberating. It was such a relief. It just felt like we could start living again. And from a logistics standpoint, it would just make things a little easier for most busy families because I'm still getting many calls every week about daycare, sending kids home because someone in the room was tested positive, not even because they were sick, but because a parent was positive. And then they have to shut the school down for 10 days because the kids aren't vaccinated. And hopefully if they maintain that when you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. If you're asymptomatic, it makes everyone's lives so much easier. So it will, it will definitely make things a little easier on everyone from multiple facets. <clears throat> Absolutely. So Dr. G, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you might like to share? Ooh. Well, um, let's see, relating to the pandemic or just pediatrics in general? Anything, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think what I'd like to share is that I know a lot of people, we still are having this mask debate schools, and I've had people coming to me asking for mask exemptions, for medical exemptions, and people trying to play, saying they have asthma, but they don't, or whatever, what, you know, to get an exemption from the mask. The bottom line is I'm glad kids are back in school full-time. They should be back in school full-time. There's multiple scientific studies control that show that kids aren't the number one spreaders. It's the adults who spread to the kids. So I'm glad kids are, and whatever it takes, if you know certain organizations decide, government organizations or health departments decide that kids need to be masked or distanced to be in school, so be it. Because like we were saying, having them home, having them away from their friends, not participating in their activities is much more dangerous for them than being at school with a mask. Um, that being said, hopefully once, you know, more folks are vaccinated, we can even, you know, do without masking, distancing, everything else. But for now, I am perfectly happy. Do what we have to do to keep the kids in school and, uh, you know, amongst their friends and learning in person the way it should be with, you know, the teachers in in front of them and, and doing their extracurriculars. So, um, how about one activity that you enjoy doing outside of work? I know you used to run past my house a lot, but <laughs> anything, anything like that. <laughs> I, I would say exercising. I do like to exercise. I don't do enough of it, but anyone who knows me well knows that there is one very unique hobby I have that has followed me from the time I was in seventh grade to the present. And anyone who knows me will know I'm an avid accordion player. And at some point, Megan, you'll probably maybe get to hear me play, but I've been playing now for almost almost 35 years and uh, usually it only comes out during the holiday season and certain office parties, but uh, they're <laughs> yelling at me in the background, but uh, Millie's that, gonna that be is counting. what I like to do in my spare time when my wife allows it. <laughs> Millie's going to be counting on you to do that at uh, the, the C- secret workshop this year. So I hope, hope you can make a comeback. <laughs> yeah. Dr. G have, have you gotten any of your kids into accordion playing? 
my kids would be horrified if I even mentioned that. They're uh, way too cool for that. But uh, they uh, they are musical. My son was a drummer. Or he still is a drummer. My daughter, my oldest daughter, loves to sing. She's in an a cappella group. She's a junior up at uh, Boston College now. And I have two younger ones who are very into their music, just not instrumentally. Uh, so, no, none of them play the accordion. <laughs> There's still time. <laughs> there may be time. How old are your kids, by the way? Uh, my youngest is 14, and then I have a 16-year-old daughter as well, and then my son, who's just 18, he's a freshman down at Belmont University in Nashville, and my daughter's 20, and she's in Boston College. Your kids line up nicely, Karen. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Karen's daughter's up in Boston as well. She's 21. 22? 21, about to turn 22. And then my son, Zachary, who passed away, would be 20. And then I have a 17-year-old son who's a junior in high school and a 14-year-old daughter who's a freshman in high school. And by the way, lots of friends who are at BC who are juniors. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just there two weeks for weeks for Parents Week, and it was fantastic. It was a great weekend. Yeah, so were my friends. Well, Dr. G, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll continue to share water safety resources with your parents and your kids that come through your office. I heard you ask Will the other night if he learned, if he knows how to swim. Um, So I was so happy to hear you talking about water safety, even to an 11 year old. Um, And so just thank you for your time. We'll let you know when this airs and um, we'll keep you posted. Thanks a lot, Megan, Karen. It was my pleasure. So nice to meet you. Thanks. You too. This is Megan Ferraro and Karen Cohn from the Zach Foundation. And if you would, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We would be so grateful. Thank you. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. 